Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast, episode 80. Being someone who's able to step up, you know, if we send out a message, hey, we need someone to do this, we're looking for that person who's going to respond right away. I'm on it. Can I help? This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, where we talk to strength and conditioning coaches about what you really need to know, but probably didn't learn in school. There's strength and conditioning, and then there's everything else. Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast. I am Eric McMahon, and with me today, Mary-Kate and Adam Fight, uh, my friends from Springfield College. Um, welcome to the show. Thanks, Eric. Yeah. Great to be here, Eric. Thanks, man. Yeah, so this is a special episode. This is the first husband and wife um, strength and conditioning podcast on our show. Um, I don't know if we ever really thought that was going to be a thing, but... <laughs> But it is, and I'm, I, I, I definitely have some, um, some questions that maybe you've never been asked before in a, in a podcast kind of related to, to that. I, I kind of feel like I was there at the beginning. You know, I knew you, MK, in, uh, mm-hmm. in grad school at, at Springfield. And um, Adam, you were actually one of uh, our athletes at the time. Um, and, uh, but I also know you as a coach as well. You, you, you were a senior, and I was a first-year grad student, and then not too long you were out in the field speaking and um, just doing – you guys have both done so much over the years, and, uh, you know, I, I, I valued our friendship over the years and just I'm, I'm really happy for you guys and everything you guys are doing. So if you guys would both just uh, take a minute and talk about your background and how you got into the field of strength and conditioning. Sure, I'll go first. Um, so I often say I'm the luckiest person in strength and conditioning. I was a pretty good soccer player when I was growing up, and I grew really early. And because of that, people started catching up, and my premier soccer coach said, hey, you should try doing some resistance training. And he told me a gym to go to, and I walked in, and I started training there. And, I mean, it could have been anywhere, but I was lucky enough that it was uh, Mike Boyle Strength and Conditioning. So I started my career off, you know, as a kid, you know, 13, 14 years old, training with Mike, and then um, he hired me on staff by the time I had a license. So I was really lucky. I've, you know, I've only been a strength and conditioning coach until now, now that I'm a professor. But um, I started my career, pretty much grew up in the weight room. Um, Was lucky enough, I got offered um, a little bit of money to go play soccer at Holy Cross. Went and played soccer there, had a great strength coach there under Coach Jeff Oliver. And then um, I knew I wanted to stay in the field, so I went on to Springfield College and got my master's there. That's awesome. How do you match that, right? (laughs) (laughs) Good good answer. (laughs) (laughs) So so it's funny because Mary-Kate talks about not having the typical start, right? Like how do we get into this field? And it usually involves some sort of, you know, cheap Joe Weider vinyl weight set with sand. And that's exactly how mine was, right? So (laughs) like many coaches, you know, you decide to get better at a sport and whatnot. So mine was actually interesting. My father said I wasn't strong enough to go bow hunting with him and had said something along the lines of, you know, you got to be able to bench press 65 pounds to pull the bow and arrow back. And uh, once I got older, I realized, like, what the heck is he talking about? But it was just enough to get me started. So, you know, I think I started really weight training in, in middle school, and I'd always been a bigger guy and decided to play football in high school and realized that, like, hey, we can do some good things here. But in terms of getting into the field, it was really a matter of like a lot of athletes we see that it's some sort of tragic event or some pivotal shift in uh, their development. And mine was a a season ending injury. So I was a football player in high school, among other sports, and broke my left arm completely in half a week before our first game. And so in the context of a 17 year old male and it's uh, 
last year of football and it's a big transition period. I mean, it, it shattered me. And so I was actually on the sidelines with our athletic trainer, uh, Kevin Offrey. I'll never forget it. And we're just talking shop, thinking about what are we going to do? And he's like, you need to get into strength and conditioning. And I'm no clue what that was. What he's like, everything you're doing with the team and the captain's practices and the training. And, and I thought it was personal training. And he just completely opened up my opportunity of looking at a career in strength conditioning and sports performance. And, and I've done a lot of other things as well within that realm, but which led me to Springfield College to do my undergrad, which is where I met all of you and uh, conveniently was right down the road from where I grew up. So, you know, really thankful for that and opportunity of not being strong enough and, and getting hurt because it's put me in a position to sit next to you guys today. That's awesome. That's kind of a theme we hear a lot in strength and conditioning. It's like we, we reach our athletic potential and then we, or, or we have a setback and then we want to basically give back you know what we've learned and you know that that overcome mentality to be able to continue and and pour into our athletes um you know that that's a huge part of our our field sure. so you guys are both phd students at springfield college now um transitioning into uh professor type roles uh so um talk about your current roles at springfield and um, what you guys do with the athlete program there as well. Sure. So um, I'm in, uh, both Adam and I are in our third year of our doctoral program. So we're just kind of finishing it up this semester. And um, this fall, I was actually offered uh, an assistant professor position. So I'm currently, you know, a full-time student as well as a full-time faculty member. Um, so I teach a lot of our grad strength and conditioning classes, sports nutrition. I'm going to teach a undergrad management of health and fitness facilities class. So teaching a lot of those exercise science classes, a little bit more heavy in the grad program, um, but still involved in the undergrad program. In addition, um, I got a three credit release to work in clinical education. So I help oversee our graduate students who run our strength and conditioning program. So anyone who doesn't know about, you know, how we do it at Springfield College is we have graduate assistants who are in charge of running the whole program. Right. And, you know, myself and Adam will talk about his role and Dr. Brian Thompson, we oversee them. So that means, you know, when they write a new program for their sport, they bring it to us. We read it. We check it. We approve it. You know, we give them feedback and then they go put it into place. So we're really there just kind of as a check and balance, go and observe, give them feedback, you know, there to support the coaches if they need us to step in a little bit more. Um, but generally, our coaches are really great about mentoring or GAs and working with them and our GAs really get to feel like you know head strength and conditioning coaches which is really awesome that's great yeah so to build on that the only I'd say biggest difference would be not being a full-time member of the faculty so you know my full-time work is with precision nutrition but as a PhD candidate in sport and exercise psychology I'm able to blend my experience you know coaching mentoring with our graduate students as well but also helping with the nutrition education mm -hmm. and most importantly for now that the mental performance piece because I think that's something that I'm going to talk about in, in tomorrow's presentation of, of how to you know bridge that gap and, and, and sharpen this edge of, of this physical and, and technical preparation together. So when I'm not in class, I'm, I'm helping with the, the senior staff, like Mary-Kate talked about with Dr. Thompson, uh, herself, uh, Dr. Moore Bergen as well, supervising our interns. I oversee uh, the development of the football team. So we've got a few GAs that work specifically with them and with a bunch of other teams as well. And I'm able to you know offer some guidance and look at things from a, a large angle of, uh, hey, I've made a lot of these mistakes already, and I value your opportunity to make similar ones, but I can tell you from experience that we don't want this to happen to you. So it's been really awesome. 
I'm able to, you know, use my sports psych experience with them as well as some of the other teams on campus, which has been really great. So I kind of consider myself a little bit of a utility coach uh, to just wherever you need me, whatever I can do as, as coordinator of, of physical mental performance in a staff position that I'm in, um, I'm ready to go. That's awesome. So, so you guys have worked at the collegiate level uh, in strength and conditioning, the professional level, uh, Adam. Um, and also in the private sector uh, together, actually, and now kind of going into the academic route. Um, talk about some of the stops along the way, pros, cons, and, and biggest challenges that you guys have faced in this career. Sure. Um, so when I, I left Springfield College a semester early to take a job at the University of Iowa, and then I kind of quickly, I was there a little under a year before I went to the University of Louisville. Um, and I loved collegiate strength and conditioning. It was awesome. Um, I think Adam and I started dating when we were both strength coaches at the University of Louisville, and that really provided a great opportunity if we were on the same schedule, you know. And I think sometimes people would like, you know, that's kind of weird. You're both in the same field. You're, you have too many similarities. And I'm like, no, it's awesome because we understand the struggles that we're both in. So we understand that you have to get up at 6 a.m. to run lifts. You know, we understand that you might not be home till 8 p.m., you know, but maybe we're both off from one to three. You know what I mean? So I think when we were both at Louisville, that was really a great time for us, especially when we started our relationship of that we were both young professionals, like really into the field, really devoted to the field, and we understood the demands um, that were associated. I would say what our biggest struggle was probably um, he left Louisville, and he'll talk about his journey, but to go to Eastern Michigan. So we were apart for, you know, a pretty substantial amount of time, about 15, 16 months um, before we ended up both moving to North Carolina for his job. Um, so personally, that was a challenge, you know, like who's going to hire a married couple? You know what I mean? And I think that's something that we're always trying to figure out is, you know, how can we end up in the same state? You know, is like that biggest challenge. <laughs> yeah, that's been quite the struggle. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I look back on it, you know, the years at Louisville, I, w I was there for two seasons working with football only. Mary-Kate was Olympic sports. And it was really the perfect blend because while you were under the same roof of strength conditioning, it was two different departments. So mm -hmm. we were able to learn from each other's staffs and have that, like Mary-Kate said, that, that sense of shared success, but also the shared struggles. And I think that's what's really helped us in our relationship, getting our PhDs together, is knowing the situations and the behaviors and the coaching dynamics and the gripes and the consequences. You know, you're not just going home and unloading on your spouse about how bad work was or how excited you are. They actually understand and get you. And so we had talked about it and she said at first, she said, I will get a job before you in this field, but you'll become a head coach before me. And unfortunately or fortunately, however we want to slice it, that's exactly what happened. So, you know, two years at the University of Louisville with Joe Ken, Brian Dermody, Eddie Grayer, Joe Connolly, all great guys that I, I still talk to and very privileged to, to learn with to this day. You know, unfortunately at that level, if you don't win games, mm -hmm. you just get uh, reused, recycled, and hopefully, you know, sent off somewhere else. So had an opportunity. I was, I was 24. I was the youngest head strength conditioning coach in Division One at the time. I took over a team that was the worst in the nation. So you talk about growth mindset and an opportunity to learn and get better, but also undertaking all of that with no social support. Mary Kate said earlier, right, being being gone for 15, 16 months. And I think it was, it was a six hour drive, right? Sure. So, you know, I got the job 
right in the in the off season then it's spring ball and she's driving up every three weeks in season we're trying to make it work so that was some serious challenges but to go back to your original question like some of the the pros of the the collegiate setting i think and we've we've talked a lot about this with sports psychology but the sense of relatedness like in collegiate strength conditioning you are a part of something you are a part of a community and like a town like louisville there, there's no professional teams so it was college sports all the time and you're hanging out with the other sport coaches and you really have a, a sense of camaraderie with everybody unfortunately right as we know to the day you know a lot of the drawbacks are like you cannot control your your fate it's it's rested on 18 to 22 year olds and if they decide to show up and play and uh, if your coaches decide to do the right thing on the road or with other people and whatnot so uh, that was something that we took and continue to develop as we developed as coaches and you know a shortstop in, in the NFL and then you know having an opportunity to turn something into something incredible with Reacher Potential Training with Bobby Smith and his wife Sharon Wentworth. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really been quite a ride, but it, it is nice now that we're older, we have a family to, to look back on every single circumstance and situation that we struggled with clearly made us the, the coaches and spouses and parents that we are today. That's awesome. Um, so one thing you you guys have always done, and I think about when you guys were at Ripped and you had interns, and and now you're at Springfield and you're you're running the program, and you'd gone through this kind of for yourself as as interns and getting getting a lot of uh, input and feedback from your mentors. Um, you know what makes a strength and conditioning coach successful? What are you looking for in the students that that you have at Springfield College that you're putting out into the field? Sure. I mean, I think the number one thing is we want them to be motivated. You know, if they come in and they don't have the educational background or they don't have the experience, as long as they're motivated to learn, you know, and to read and to do internships and kind of to do whatever it takes to be successful, you know, and, you know, not be held back by, you know, being intimidated to do something or, you know, being too busy. You know what I mean? Just being someone who's able to step up. You know, if we send out a message, hey, we need someone to do this, we're looking for that person who's going to respond right away. I'm on it. Can I help? You know what I mean? Nice. So looking for those people who are really motivated to be involved. Yeah. And to, to add to that, I, I, I look at a lot of characteristics. I think a successful coach can is very adaptable, right? The, the ability to take what is done or what is presented to them and if it has to change in a moment's notice like we are okay like we're going to find that way so mm -hmm. you know the adaptability the responsibility the accountability like all these abilities because it's very easy for coaches to learn in today's day and age right we're, we're doing a podcast right now like mm -hmm. there is no shortage of the supply of learning however what are they doing with that knowledge and and how are they translating that into real life situations so you know can you be adaptable can you be reliable uh, can i count on you to treat everything as it should and it's not just sweeping the floors it's not just making sure the racks are set at nine and five it's we've seen it time and time again that you know these lessons do translate to the opportunities that you create for yourself or that are created for you simply as a byproduct of, of what you're doing now in the positions that you're in so i look at a lot of life lessons in, in coaching and mm -hmm. how can they be greatly successful yeah we want them motivated they're going to learn the stuff uh, but what are all the intangibles yeah because we can, we're going to teach you strength conditioning non, non weight yeah. room skills exactly right yeah. it's life it's, skills it's life skills it's people skills it's communication skills uh, a lot of the great content we've seen thus far at NSCA has been talking about, yeah, hey, it's X's and O's and it's APRE and it's fluid periodization, whatever. But how are we having these conversations and how are they unfolding? And so I, I want personality, right? We will yeah. teach a strength. 
can you can you hold a group? Can you be fun? Do I want to work with you? For mm -hmm. sure. So, um, you guys have we're here at the 2020 Coaches Conference um, in San Antonio, and you guys are both speakers. Uh, and Adam, you've been speaking with Precision Nutrition for a number of years now. MK, you're you're getting on the scene more and mm -hmm. more every year, and you know what was the what's your motivation to to get out and speak and and, and kind of spread your knowledge to future generations of strength coaches um, it takes a lot to get up and speak you know it's like there's a lot of people that it's one of their biggest fears to get up in front of a group of people and to share just afraid of the feedback or or the response that you might get putting yourself out there and, and you guys both do such a great job with that you know what's your motivation to do that and um, just talk about that a little bit um, I mean, in talking about my background, I mentioned a couple of people that really made an impact in my life. And for me, speaking is a way for me to make an impact in the field. And um, specifically, you know, I'm interested in internship education, coach education. And by going up there and speaking, I'm educating all these people who can then go on and educate other professionals. So if I talk to 10 people today, right, and they each have four interns next year, well, I influence 40 people. You know, so for me right now, I feel like my biggest impact, yeah, it will definitely be with the students at Springfield College, but when I speak, I'm influencing professionals all over the nation, you know, and that's something that's I really awesome. want to do. That's great. For me, it's really been about playing to the strengths, and I think that, that's been a key lesson for me in coaching as well as the coaches I serve and I work with because oftentimes we put people in positions or have them do roles that – hey, they might be pretty good at it, but maybe they don't enjoy it. And for me, speaking is, is a natural ability. I was always in a position of leadership on sports teams growing up. I mean, fun fact, Eric, I don't know if you know this, but, you know, I was the tin man in the eighth grade school play. So <laughs> having that sense of being in front of others, right? And this, this is for everybody to know, right? If, if you're still He was also homecoming king, just saying. We didn't need to know that. But <laughs> I've always been comfortable to have that message and to have that presence in front of people. And it's something I want to do more. I think writing, as much as I enjoy it, or some coaches can do that, right? Whether it's a book chapter, whether it's a blog post, you can't feel the emotion. You can't capture the passion of how much this message and how I look at presenting is storytelling. You can't get that from words. And so for me, why I love it is because people can see that from me. They can feel it and they're going to leave any message I get and give and deliver of I can sense the care. I can sense the commitment and it's fun and I love it. I look forward to doing it tomorrow. I've got a couple lined up, but, you know, very, very thankful for a platform with, you know, organizations like Precision Nutrition and, and the NSCA for allowing me to to give that message and to, to have that stage because I enjoy every minute of it. That's cool. Anyone that knows us, I mean, they won't be surprised that, you know, before I'm speaking, I'm like really nervous. My heart rate's up really high. You know, I'm kind of freaking out a little bit, you know, um, but I'm happy to do it. I'm excited for the opportunity. Adam, on the other hand, you know, tomorrow's going to be game day. He's going to wake up like it's the best day of his life, you know, and you see no, that I just with our, how we are socially, you know what I mean? Just Adam loves, you know, being out there and being outgoing and he just loves the stage, you know, and I think that's really awesome. It definitely gets easier. As you get up and 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 then you learn to control the nerves a little bit. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, the same thing happens to me, right? And and we talk about that in psychology. It's how we appraise a situation. I've given. I think we just updated my CV. You know, from a performance standpoint, I've probably given close to 75, 80 presentations over the years since school. 
and I still get up there and, and the heart rate goes up, right? The mm -hmm. hands get a little clammy. And, <laughs> but for me, that's a sign of like, here it is. Like, mm -hmm. it's, let's go. The curtain's going to be unveiled. So, uh, yeah, competence is bred through the opportunity of repetition, repetition, repetition. So go out there and keep speaking and, and challenge yourself. That is awesome. Um, so this is what I really wanted to talk to you guys about. <laughs> <laughs> Slow rolling us the last 20 minutes. <laughs> um, so having a family in the strength and conditioning field, you guys are uniquely qualified uh, to talk about that. So one thing I wanted to ask is, how's your perspective towards the field changed since having kids? Um, I think it's hard to look at it a student athlete and not think of them as someone's child, you know, and even when I see professional athletes, I still think, of, I mean, they're younger than us now, most of them, you know, and I still think of them as someone's child, you know, and, um, I think that changes everything, you know, it's not about winning. It's about this individual. And I think I always kind of saw it that way, but from a parenting standpoint, I mean, I have mom moments out there, you know, where I'm like, Oh, like, are they okay? You know what I mean? Where I'm definitely like, I definitely have a motherly instinct towards these student athletes, you know, and um, towards my interns and towards my grad students. And, you know, I think parenting just kind of brings that out of you a little bit more. Awesome. On the other side of the coin, I think I'd add <laughs> how it's affected my relationship with the coaches that we work with, specifically like the graduate assistants and interns, because when you're not a parent, you have this very myopic view of, you know, you should be the first one in and the last one out and there's nothing mm -hmm. else that's more important to you. And you've got to grind and it's hustle and you get older and you realize, and this was, and this was actually a huge lesson when we joined the private sector was if it doesn't have to be done in the confines of this brick and mortar, uh, lack of sunlit room in the basement, below basements of a, a weight room, and I can do this with my kids crawling on me or I can do it when they go to bed at night. Like, that's where I want to do it. Because mm -hmm. as Mary Kate pointed out earlier in her presentation, like when I'm there, I want to be there. So for me, it's been about delegation of responsibilities. It's been about, hey, do we have to do this now? Or guess what? Just because you don't have a family doesn't mean that you don't have other things to do. And that's really made me a, a more empathic coach and, and a compassionate coach of realizing also that they think things are hard and mm -hmm. it, of course, us, you know, you're as a parent as well, like you have, you have no idea how <laughs> you think this is hard, but we, res we, we respect that because at this point in their life right now, finals only and trying to make rent only or studying for a test is the hardest thing in their life right now. So being a parent and, and having those dad moments been a lot more understanding and, uh, and authentic in my relationship with, with the coaches I work with. Seriously. I think we're, we're very efficient now, you know, like people you know, we'll have our grad students be freaking out about a couple things and they're like, and then I'm freaking out because I have this and this do. And then I think of you and Adam, you know, and I tell them, you know, your struggle is real, even though it's not our struggle. But I mean, in our positions where we're both working full time and we're both full time students and we have a five and a seven year old, you know, and we're very much there. You know, my daughter goes to school till two. Someone picks her up every day at two, even though we work full time and we're full time students, you know, so we're just really good at making every minute of the day count, you know, and figuring out, you know, who's on drop off, who's on pickup, you know, who's going to be going to what, you know, this practice, who's going to be getting up at 6 a.m. to do work while the other one gets everybody off to the school, you know, and just really, really good at being efficient and being organized. And I mean, I think that helps us as coaches too. That's great. Yeah. So flip it the other way now. <laughs> and MK, you talked a little bit about this, you know, how does your coaching background 
help you as a parent? Yeah, I mean, I think that's perfect to write what I just said. I mean, we we are scheduled to the T. You know, we share a Google Calendar. Time, and- time out. Can I can I can I butt in real quick? <laughs> so <laughs> we're gonna go back to when we got married, which was July <laughs> July second, two thousand eleven. Uh, and actually, I'll, I'll preface that with maybe the date or two before. You want to talk about itineraries <laughs> and Excel of like where you got to be, what you got to do, who you're going to be doing it with, the time that you have. I mean, you should have saw the charts that we had for our wedding. And I actually, it was in our wedding vows, Eric, that was like, hey, are you going to like ease off the Excel in this marriage? <laughs> uh, because the templates were fantastic. So I just, <laughs> yes, efficient and programming. Yep. Uh, I'll let you continue. But we, I mean, we have seen it multiply exponentially in our relationship. Sure. The Excel skills as a strength coach is a, is a great application. You, you, our for our Disney trip, you should have saw that. I mean, it was the, the, the cell merging. We had a watermark on the background. Oh, stop. <laughs> Say um, hi to Mickey Mouse. Yeah. Uh, okay. I don't remember what I was talking about now. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think as strength and conditioning coaches, you're used to being organized and scheduled and everything. And because of that, we kind of – run on our household like that you know we have we have a whiteboard up in our kitchen um it's actually like a clear glass one so we it looks a nice yeah we do yeah. but um you know every week i write up monday through sunday you know and i write up anything out of the ordinary up there and then who's picking up who's dropping off and then we have a synced google calendar um i'm one color he's another color the kids are a third color you know and just you know always having that structure you know, and I guess it's kind of like having a lift structure, you know, like what is devote, what is this time devoted to every single day? That's awesome. Yeah. I'm I, taking notes. I'm going to take some of that stuff home. <laughs> <and then. Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think what's, what's helped too, you know, just the, the field in general about taking care of yourself. And mm-hmm. uh, certainly we've, we've been in better conditions of, of physical and, and, and probably mental health. We've <laughs> also been probably worse as well, but our kids have seen uh, our efforts in taking care of ourselves and, and them taking mm-hmm. care of themselves. So, you know, we've been collecting weight room equipment for years at every school that throwing things out or great sales. And, and so, you know, we built a, an incredible two-car garage gym and, and our kids, we do family workouts and the garage doors come up and, you know, we, we have elements where there's turf, like the kids know exactly what to do and they're pulling the plyo boxes out and the obstacle courses. And so we've been really able to take that as Mary Kate talked about structure, but also the, the free play aspect of, mm-hmm. hey, we gotta, we're going to go in the gym and get a family workout and we're going to do our thing, but you have full reign and we want you to have fun and explore and, and really get to see what, what mom and dad do, you know, on a, probably not a daily basis these days with school, but on, on a basis that we, we truly enjoy. Um, both kids were born when we were working at Ripped. So, I mean, literally Cody took his first step on the turf at Reach Potential Training, you know, and Macy wasn't there quite as much because, you know, how two kids in a gym is way different than one kid in the gym. <laughs> um, but like, I literally can't bring them to a facility and expect them to stand next to me. They walk into a strength and conditioning facility and to them, it's a playground, you know, cause sure. they grew up playing there. You know, so they're, you know, hanging off the TRXs. They're doing, you know, Cody will rip out some pu- some pull-ups on a bar or, you know, they're jumping on plyo boxes. They're putting ankle bands on and doing, you know, band walks. Like, and they know what all the stuff is. I mean, I think both of them were foam rolling by the time they were 18 months. <laughs> you know, so. We had, we had a picture. We, we were uh, at, at Jersey and we were doing wall drills, I think, right? And Cody got, oh, on, yeah. Cody got on the wall. But, I mean, we, yeah, exactly. He's, he's break dancing on the platforms because we just got him waxed. I mean... Uh, he's setting PRs with his exercises and, you know, Hey, we're going to do a workout and we let them coach us through it. You know, like, where's this coming from? So um, Cody often, I'll look over in our office and he'll be doing jumping jacks and push ups, and I'm like, Cody, what are you doing? Oh, just getting a workout in like, all right, dude. That's awesome. 
my yeah. son does that too and yeah. it's, it's just it's, it's the coolest awesome. thing as a parent um <laughs> so you talked about your garage gym and you know when i started having kids it changed my perspective and it kind of broadened my perspective and i never really thought about working with youth athletes before but you guys have really worked the whole spectrum from collegiate professional and now you have kids what Talk about long-term athlete development and kind of, I know we all have these hopes and aspirations for our kids and I, and, and I don't want to be specific to that, but um, talk about the concept of athlete, long-term athlete development and just kind of your take on that and how it is uh, being applied towards the training for youth and up through high school, collegiate strength and conditioning, just kind of a broader look at the field as a whole. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll start off, you know, with both of our degrees being based in physical education, this concept of, of movement mastery and, and principles and motor learning has really become the forefront because we're all in the same Facebook groups. We see all the same Twitter rants and conversations. We're over-specializing our kids, but, you know, we're enabling that to happen. And so I think for us, you know, and I'll start this, is we take a very powerful position in our family of we're going to do a lot of things. Uh, when we were coaching at the high school level, which you know for me were some of the best years of my coaching career, I always told our athletes, hey, I want you to get a, a, a general studies degree in, in weight training and agility and speed work and conditioning because you're going to sign a scholarship, I hope, soon. And then that's it. You're going to be doing that, whether it was lacrosse or football or soccer, field hockey, what have you. And so when we were doing movements, you know, and writing our 90-minute performance programs, we wanted to expose them to as many stimuli to get them proficient enough where that they could transfer one skill to another skill. And for us at home, it's the same thing, right? Uh, you know, our son's a, a little undersized, but and he's an incredible soccer player. You know, mom's a Division One <laughs> athlete, and, and dad's a Division Three has been. But you <laughs> know, he, he's, he's, he's built for that. But. We also know, hey, let's do some basketball as well. And then we're going to do some baseball or, you know, our daughter loves, you know, some of the visual arts stuff with, with dance and, and acting and whatnot. So uh, we have a rule, I think, you know, we, we've modified it. Uh, Rich Gray from Play talked about, you know, his kids have to do something three out of four seasons. And that's something that, you know, we've kind of adapted for our family of we're not just going to play one sport all year round. Because that day will happen probably. Mm -hmm. I think that's where we are. But Mary-Kate's been very good with that and, and – <laughs> respecting that to happen whether you know we've done taekwondo with the kids mm -hmm. and, and whatnot so uh, i'll start there in terms of we we do that and we do coach you know mary kate has been uh, the head coach for the soccer team for cody the last uh two years prior to this year because he's at another level now and now we're coaching macy's team and i'm her assistant get i'm like the get back coach uh <laughs> more so the get it's actually the get in coach with the kids because they're just sitting there seriously but we talk about like oh, we're doing this or they're doing that are you doing something about it? And, and we are. You know, we're very active in our community. And so the ability to, to see that happen and unfold, but also to be a part of that and make the change, be the change that we always talk about, uh, we do that. So Yeah, and I know, I mean, I take a lot of pride in, you know, we coached kindergarten and first grade soccer for Cody and now kindergarten soccer for Macy. And, you know, I look over at the other coaches and they're standing in line and they're waiting their turn and they're, you know, whatever. And, I mean, our kids, they're playing. You know, we come up with as many games as possible to play during that hour. You know, whether it's dribbling the ball and us having music and when we stop the music, you stop the ball or, you know, sharks and minnows or whatever game we can come up to with to make them active as much as we can that whole entire time. And I think we take a lot of pride in that. Um, like Adam said, we're trying to get them exposed to as many sports as possible. 
um, you know, as a soccer person, it is hard to not get pulled into getting Cody committed to a lot of soccer because he is a very good soccer player, but he's seven. You know what I mean? So making sure we prioritize other sports at other times. Um, you know, I struggle with, I think at some point in high school, you have to start to dial it in towards one or two sports. And I think one of the big reasons for that is that's a time that I, that I really do think strength and conditioning should start up you know, before they enter the collegiate level. And if you're playing three sports, you don't really have time for strength and conditioning, you know. So I think in high school is when you really need to start kind of picking, you know, which season can I really focus on strength and conditioning rather than a sport. Um, But we're not there yet. So we'll see how we feel when we get there, you know. Um, But that's where my gut is thinking that towards high school is when we're going to try to, you know, and obviously we'll just follow whatever they want to do, to be honest. For but, sure. you know, that would definitely be when I'd see, you know, starting to dial it down a little bit to make sure that we're getting, you know, that strength and conditioning piece in as well as, you know, all the different various sports. Yeah, that's that's a really good point about when strength and conditioning should start, mm-hmm. I think. There's such, um, you know, a lot of strength and conditioning for a long time. It was really just collegiate, mm-hmm. this four-year model. Y- mm-hmm. You look at the essentials text. I mean, a lot of the periodization schemes are kind of based on um, the, the collegiate model of strength and conditioning. Yeah, quadrennial plans, annual yeah, plans. And, right? and, and I know working in professional baseball all these years, we were, we were off the grid that, that entire time. And now high school strength and conditioning, now it's, well, it's expanded now to – to essentially an eight-year model or, yeah. you, you know, and, and um, that's a huge opportunity when you look mm-hmm. at the uh, long-term athlete development model that we maybe had been missing, but obviously is an area we need to continue to grow. Yeah. And, um, and, I, and I believe the NSCA is going to move in that direction. Even um, just sending them on to college with good technique. You know what I mean? Just mastering absolutely. that technique at a younger age, you know, in high school, so that when they get to college, you know, no matter where they're at, they already have that good base that, you know, they can perform those lifts safely and effectively. Which, you so you strike like a big thing I'm passionate about is because when we were at the high school level, you know, 80% of our kids were female. And we lived in, in such an incredible area of Division One talent. And we know, especially in the college athletics model, kids transfer, kids are stressed. Like you go from, I am the king of everything, the queen of everything, high school is awesome, to wow, the coach isn't who I thought he or she was going to be. My team isn't exactly. The food sucks, the dorm sucks, the roommate sucks. And so for us, like we took so much pride in saying, you're gonna go to university or college and you're going to be damn good at lifting and training, and that's going to be one less giant thing you have to sure. worry about. And we, the, the one of the best things ever, you know, besides getting that nice thank you from the parents and the kids, but when the college strength coaches would, would call us or, or reach out to us at a conference and are like, you know, so-and-so has got incredible technique. They do all my demos. And when you're a freshman, that, that's incredible. And so, you know, I want to thank you to all the college coaches that, that stayed in touch with us when we were in the private sector because that really helped us and it helped them. So. Yeah. Yeah. So when you were talking about all the struggles that they they have, I was like, man, I, you know, at the stage of life we're at, I'm like, I'd love to be back on the meal plan. You oh. know? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, man, a dorm room the size of a closet. That's less I don't necessarily. Yeah, I don't necessarily <laughs> want that. But I, I, the meal plan, man, I miss that. But um, so here's another one for you guys. Um, you guys are both very talented strength and conditioning coaches. What? Let's talk about the field here. What are some areas that maybe you have a different philosophy or different approach that maybe you take work home with you and have conversations, oh uh, uh, that, uh, conversations in the car or whatever it is that you uh, kind of have a little debate going on? Do you want to start this, Mary Kay? Uh, I got to think about it for a second. 
So to, let me clarify, Eric. These are dinner table conversations we have. <laughs> well, where we don't agree. Where we don't agree, right? Yeah. Or just strength and conditioning yeah. focus. We'll leave the other stuff for, for you guys. I mean, this is a silly one, but it's the first thing that pops into my head is stance on overhead presses. You know, okay. is it is it, you know, a split stance or a parallel stance? And I can remember us arguing about this when we first got to ripped because we had to decide, you know, at ripped, how do you stand when you overhead press? You know, and that's such like a little piece, but it matters, mm-hmm. you know, and we had two different opinions on that. Um, I think card template, he's much oh, more, yeah. he like wants it colored and fancy. And I, <laughs> I want it to be very clear and clean cut. You know, I'm not saying my borders are messed up or anything like, but, um, you're more the calendar at home. Yeah. The color yeah, coded, yeah. But, no, oh. I just, I just, I need it clean cut and efficient, but I don't need, you know, the glitter and the, you know, the colors and all that stuff where Adam really likes that stuff. Well, we don't have we haven't had color ink in about three years. Yeah, but so. <laughs> but if we did, you would use Back it. Back in the day, oh, you yeah. would use it. Uh, actually, <laughs> so this is a good one. I, something that working with PN and, and behavior change overall, and just uh, as I've gotten older, I've gotten better at, and it's something obviously Mary Kate has helped with. But being okay with being okay, and I think I mm-hmm. have always had a tendency of not recognizing what we call like the bright spots and to celebrate the progress wins because Eric, as you know, you know, being the professional level, it's great. What have you done for me lately? And Seriously. great. That was awesome. But what are you going to do next? And so I remember very early on of like, you know, especially with staff development, because one of the best pieces of advice I ever got was when I was a graduate assistant and my uh, boss at the time, Frank Winchurk, who's at UCLA, said, you know, act as if, you know, act as if you are an assistant if you're a GA. Act as a head coach if you're an assistant. And so I had always put the gas pedal down to the floor and said, okay, great, but what, what's next? How are you going to do that better? And so Mary-Kate came from a, a little bit of a different background, a little bit more encouraging, a little bit more, hey, let's, let's take a time out and celebrate the progress that we've made. And obviously I've gotten much better at that. But I, I remember definitely on early on that, Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking about interns and how come this person's not getting that or they could be doing better. And, and she was always one to be like, hey, look, look in the rearview mirror. See how far they've come already. So marrying a coach makes you better. <laughs> Co- coaches need coaches, as we know. Right. That's awesome. Oh. That's great. So shift gears for a second. Um, you guys are very well read in the field. And um, we've talked about a lot of mentors and people that have influenced you. But. Um, talk about some books and websites, resources that you guys dig from to kind of sharpen the sword, so to speak. This is totally you. Well, we will preface this by saying when you do a PhD, <laughs> the <laughs> amount of professional development you get already from the network of articles you have to read is incredible. But, yeah, if, if we are not doing that, you know, we are a lot of, a lot of the recent work I've tried to read, you know, cover to cover, obviously, in between articles and whatnot. But uh, David Epstein's range lately has, has been a game changer in terms of, I think, which has helped, you know, go back into specialization, right, for years. And this was actually one of the, the best pieces of advice I gave for many years as a young coach. Like, be the coach that people want to hire. You know, now we have technology. We need a sports science expert. We need a nutrition coach. We need a FMS correctives coach. We need a VBT coach. Like, and I would say a coach, but a skill set. And now I look at it as be the coach that can do a lot of many things. And you can do them very well. But it gives you that perspective, and that's, that's what David talks about, of, of solving a specialized problem from a generalist view. And that's something I've really taken on as 
I have experience in nutrition coaching and strength conditioning and, and running a business and, you know, now sports psychology. So I, de I would definitely recommend that. Uh, working in behavior change, you know, we're talking about books, um, anything from the Heath Brothers and Switch and Make It Stick, uh, James Clear, Atomic Habits, uh, John Berardi's latest Change Maker. Uh, we're looking at these uh, components, uh, the power of moments. I mean, incredible mm -hmm. that we had our, our graduate assistants read this past summer about the opportunity and the ability to create these moments that people will remember and, and move forward accordingly. So those are some of the books that I've, I've gone through and when we do get a vacation and we're not working on a finals project, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm getting into it, so. <laughs> Yeah, I would definitely say I'm very much, um, I read a lot of research right now, so I'm a little pulled away from books. I am for my facilities management class. Rather, in the past, they've read two or three different um, books about managing strength and conditioning facilities or sports performance facilities or personal training facilities. I've decided to go the podcast route with that, which I think is going to be pretty unique. They have to listen to five different podca podcast episodes throughout the course and write reflections, and then we're going to have discussions on them. Um, so right now I'm spending a lot of time listening to various podcasts, trying to select out the best podcasts to be offered and not just the podcast, but the podcast with this guest, you know, that I think will provide my students with a lot of information and really, I mean, I'm such a big podcast fan because I think I can listen to a podcast, you know, with, you know, one headphone in my ear while I'm cooking dinner. You know, I can do it while I'm driving. There's so many ways for me as a busy professional to consume information, you know, through a podcast. And I kind of want to share that with my students and have them to start really expanding where they're getting information from. Because, again, like this is something they can do while they're driving or while they're working out or something else like that. I th yeah, I totally agree with that on the podcast. I, you know, I, I know personally, so I've gotten into velocity-based training a mm -hmm. lot over the last few years. And so I listen to, I feel like every Dr. Brian Mann podcast yeah. out mm -hmm. there, and I feel like it really connects you to the person. Sure. You hear their voice, and 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 it it. So funny story. A few weeks ago, I I for the first time I got on the phone with with Dr. Mann, and he started talking, and for a split second, I'm just thinking, oh, I'm like this is like a podcast. Like, I'm, I'm, <laughs> like I've heard it, you know, like an interactive heard, podcast. And, and, and so it was. Uh, you know, but I really do agree with you, like, that I feel like podcasts are such a good way to connect mm -hmm. with with the experts in the field. Um, and I like writing, too, uh, and, and the idea of it, but it is a little more time intensive. Mm -hmm. um, and there's just so much value to conversation, right? And they're just having the conversation and getting the ideas out there. And it's a little more raw and, and, and unedited, so to speak. But um, you... I just feel like that's where the real growth happens. Um, so we'll wrap this up here soon, but just a quick question. You know, what's the future of SNC look like? Um, you know, from based on your experience, you guys are 10, 15 years into the field. Where's this field going? Um, knowing the young strength and conditioning coaches that you're putting out into the industry right now. Yeah, I mean, I think technology is really big right now. You know, so making sure our young coaches are well-versed in technology. I know some people think it was on an upswing and it's going to come back down. I, I'm not sure I believe that. I think it's going to be something that we're going to keep incorporating into our coaching, and it's something that our young coaches need to master. Um, I think it's also important for our 
professionals to be diverse and have lots of diverse experiences, I think the field is going to start to fill up. You know what I mean? So having that ability to work with other populations is important too. Mm -hmm. Um, and not focusing just on collegiate athletic athletics because, you know, there's so many things you can do with a strength and conditioning degree or an exercise science degree that I don't think you should really narrow yourself down. Like, you know, when Adam first started, he probably never thought he was going to go private sector. I thought I might end up private sector, mm-hmm. but I mean, I trained, I, I trained a 78 year old woman at one time and I loved it. You know what I mean? Um, so, you know, you're going to get these different people that you're going to end up interacting with. So I think making sure that you gain the knowledge that you need to and the experience to work with a diverse population, I think is really important. Yeah. And I think to add to that in terms of diversity, we're, we're seeing a shift into what strength conditioning is turning into, whether that's called high performance, whether that's called performance enhancement, where you see the medical model, right, in professional mm-hmm. sports. And so I'm not saying that we're going to all report to the hospital system, but I do believe that this shift in responsibilities and roles of performance management is going to be required more of us. I don't think the typical weights and plates and squats and sprints are going to dominate these job descriptions, right? We, we see a rise in high school strength conditioning, and they're, they're running private academies, and they're teaching as well, the teacher-coach model. And so I, I see, yes, the technology is going to continue to be not just a luxury, it's going to be an expectation, right? Mm-hmm. And, but the perspective of we're moving towards accreditation, we have to. And if we're going to continue to sit here and talk about the value of our profession and it doesn't matter because it's all about how many games you win or lose or the athletic department endowment, no, let's develop these skill sets and expect more of ourselves. And we're going to have to. And I think we're, we're, we're heading that way. So, you know, professionalizing the field a little bit mm-hmm. more and doing the things and answering the questions, not just posing the gripes and grievances, but actually sitting down through committees and, and having next actions of this is where we're going. We want to specialize and we want to be great performance managers and coaches. This is how we have to start treating ourselves. This is how we have to start looking at the industry. And this is how we have to start developing. That's great. So where can our listeners connect with you guys? Sure. Um, my email address, I'll give that to you right away. It's uh, mfeit at springfieldcollege.edu. And that's probably the best way to reach me. I'll be honest, um, I am not great at social media. I need to step that up. Um, but Adam is much better at it. So, Adam, will you go ahead and give all your info? Well, got a few email addresses. I should probably give uh, the one I'll, I'll check the most. So that, that's Springfield, A-F-E-I-T at springfield.edu. I'm also a full-time coach and curriculum developer with Precision Nutrition. So adam.fight at precisionnutrition.com. Uh, you can catch me uh, working with them, you know, really changing the game from a nutrition education standpoint. Social media, Instagram, A-E-F-E-I-T. And Twitter, Adam underscore fights. Uh, haven't been too great on that lately. Uh, really sticking to the bare bones of communication as, as we keep our heads down and through this final push. But uh, very much appreciate any coach that reaches out. And all I ask is that uh, give me a little time. I'll definitely get back to you. <laughs> For sure. So uh, just other priorities at, at that time are happening. So Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for being on the show. Um, and also thanks to our sponsor, Sorenex Exercise Equipment. We appreciate their support. Um, coming to you from the 2020 Coaches Conference in San Antonio, um, Adam and Mary-Kate Fight, uh, the first married couple on our podcast. Uh, and I really enjoyed it. So thank you very much. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, Eric. 
And as you know, we at the NSCA love research, especially applying that research. If you're not a member yet, join us and get access to the best strength and conditioning journals available. Just go to nsca.com membership. And to all of you listening, we appreciate your support. Again, if you like the podcast, make sure you subscribe wherever you download your podcast from. Write us a review and keep listening in. Thank you, and I look forward to talking with you all soon. This was the NSCA's Coaching Podcast. The National Strength and Conditioning Association was founded in 1978 by strength and conditioning coaches to share information, resources, and help advance the profession. Serving coaches for over 40 years, the NSCA is the trusted source for strength and conditioning professionals. Be sure to join us next time.